Broadcasting from the studios of Business Radio X, it's time for E-Commerce Connector. This show is brought to you by Polyglot Labs, driving growth and innovation in the e-commerce world. Now, here's your host, Garrett Massey. Welcome to E-Commerce Connector. Um, My name is Garrett Massey. Uh, today on the show, we have Mr. Evan Katz, who is the co-founder of Very Special Games. Mr. Evan, thank you for joining us. Yeah, so happy to be here, Gary. Awesome. Tell me a little bit about uh, Very Special Games, how you guys uh, got started, what you do, and kind of the rundown. Sure. So Very Special Games is a uh, board game publishing company, which means that we, we're we kind of a one-stop shop. We do everything from... Uh, design these games from the ground up. And we're talking mostly party games for the most part, you know, the type of thing you'd find at Target on the shelf next to Apples to Apples or Cards Against Humanity. Um, And uh, they're kind of aimed at the more casual, maybe even non-gamer. They're definitely not these like sit there for eight hours type of strategy games, kind of on the opposite end of the spectrum. Um, But we do everything from come up with those games, write them, design them, and then we manufacture them and uh, and then most of what I spend my time doing is figuring out how the heck do we sell these things. So there's a ton of uh, marketing that happens behind them, mostly uh, kind of paid social marketing. And primarily, we've grown over the past five years all through e-commerce. So we do 90 plus percent of our sales on either Amazon or our own Shopify website. We've started to move into some of the larger retail stores. Like last month, we launched our first game in Target. But, you know, up until now, it's been very e-commerce heavy. And we've uh, we've grown pretty quickly over the last, uh, I think it's four and a half years coming up on five. Congratulations. That's awesome. Congratulations as well as uh, getting into Target. That sounds like right. a, yeah, it's a big deal. What was that process like getting a product into Target? It, you know, I think we we first started having conversations with Target about this particular title two years ago. So (laughs) that's about how long it takes. I think, you know, this is our first title in there. I think it might go faster than that if we have a second and third title go in, but you know, it involves going through a distributor and that, that two years doesn't even account for the time it took to get set up with distributor, the distributor who would start pitching our game to Target. So like, it's, it's quite a long ways. Um, which is the great thing about e-commerce is that uh, you can kind of write your own destiny a little bit more. I think Um, there's just, if we were a retail brick and mortar focused company, um, you're kind of at the whim of these larger retailers, both on timeline and uh, you know, whether they decide to stock your game or not with e-commerce, you can be up and selling kind of as quick as you have something to sell, which has been great for us. Yeah. Tell me a little bit about the uh, games you guys that uh, the games you guys have designed, and um, you know the names folks may know. Sure. So our uh, most well-known title, which is the one that just went into Target, is called Ransom Notes, uh, and that is a game you may have been targeted on Instagram by our uh, very uh, persistent ads. Uh, but that's a game where you're given a prompt. The whole table is given a prompt, something like uh, write a missing cat poster. And then you've got a pool of like word magnets, like, you know, fridge poetry magnets in front of you. And you have to try and do that, but only using your own word magnet. So people end up writing these like grammatically terrible sentences that hardly make sense. But somehow it's uh, it's usually a very funny time. Um, so most of our games are kind of like that. They're 
slightly creative but very approachable party games. Um, we our most recently launched game was a little bit outside of that. It's called Abduction, spelled uh, D-U-C-K in the middle of it, and uh, it's a game where you are rearranging a bunch of little plastic ducks, kind of a Tetris style um, or uh, or Candy Crush style, if anyone's played that. And um, abducting them into a fun, flexible little rubber spaceship. So uh, that one's that one's also done quite well for us, and we're excited to get that out into the world. That's super cool. Did the COVID nineteen uh, pandemic have any effect on y'all's production capabilities? Is that? Oh man, uh, <laughs> yeah, we do. You know, all the uh, facilities that make um, pretty much all of the board games that you'll ever play are overseas. So, um, yeah, it was an enormous change to what we were used to. Um, we kind of had, we started in 2019. So like we had one normal year and we were like, huh, <laughs> this isn't so bad, uh, as a two person company at the time. And then suddenly it was like, you know, timelines were getting stretched from three months to eight months. Uh, what used to be a $3,000 freight container became a $40,000 freight container. Ooh. Um, so, you know, luckily we we were as as difficult as some of that was uh, i think we uh made our way through it just by by luck through the most part of getting inventory here still in time for the holiday season and um uh managed managed to grow through that still um i think you know the the flip side of that was there were a lot more people playing board games um so the uh the demand grew even as the difficulty in production also went up but now, now things are definitely settling down. Um, but I, I think, you know, we're going to be living in the post-pandemic world for the foreseeable future. Yeah, right on. Well, it's good to hear uh, that things have settled down in y'all's world as well as the world in general. So this is your fifth startup. Did I read that correctly? It is. Um, and, you know, depending on how you want to count things, you could say it's my like eighth or ninth. Um, but <laughs> it's uh, fifth as far as... Uh, things that I've been involved where, where it's, where it's like, okay, this is a real company where we're at least fully invested into it. And, and, um, uh, something is happening more than just kind of, uh, dipping a toe in the water with a new idea. But yeah, I've, I kind of got the, got the startup bug really early on, really when I was in college and, um, despite some, um, early failures was like, you know what, I, I really like doing this stuff. And, um, uh, I'm, I'm, was just telling someone the other day that I'm so glad that the business I get to work on right now is one where I both like the, you know, the products that we're making. And, uh, I like that they're board games and creative, but I think what I like even more is running the business. Um, because that almost feels like we're playing a game every day. Um, yeah. that's, uh, always very, uh, fulfilling to me. Right on. You mentioned one of the uh, the major ways you guys have driven business has been through paid ads. Tell us a little bit more about that. What yeah, that is the um, really if if suddenly paid ads went away tomorrow, um, so would our business uh, pretty much. <laughs> um, we are that dependent on it, and um, and for the most part through our history, we've grown through Facebook and Instagram ads have been the ones where we primarily. Um, I see the, the b- biggest results. Um, we've tested a lot of different other platforms and just haven't been able to get nearly as much, uh, the, 
kind of measurable traction there. Um, we are we are doing more and more with Amazon advertising. Mm-hmm. Um, that's a bit of a harder one for us to figure out, but we you know we know it's a piece of the puzzle. Um, but for the most part, you know, every when we the way that our, our products work as far as their life cycle is. Um, we'll come up with a idea and put it into development. And then um, we'll launch it on Kickstarter, which is a crowdfunding platform um, basically where people are placing pre-orders for this product that doesn't exist yet. Um, but they know that they'll get it eight months down the line and they get it at a slight discount now and help it kind of uh, come to life by getting it on Kickstarter. But most of those people who buy it on Kickstarter uh, do so because they saw an ad for um, this game on Facebook or Instagram. And, uh, you know, we do have an email list and all of that, but uh, it's a drop in the bucket compared to the, at the end of the day, the people who will come through our first timers new to our company who see these ads. Um, And really our whole business model is based around like, we'll turn ads on for that new product on day one of the Kickstarter. And then as long as everything goes well, uh, we never turn them off. Like we run these ads year round and daily we are kind of looking at, well, how much money did we put in the the top of the funnel mm-hmm. here, the little black box machine, and like how much got squeezed out the bottom? And we are constantly uh, pulling levers in there, whether it's amount of spend or you know what is the actual creative, the the images and the copy that are in these ads, and who are they going to? But you know, getting that mix right can make the difference between us selling. Uh, 20 copies of a game in a day or 200. Um, it really, as soon as, as soon as those ads go off, we see our sales drop immediately. Like if we have to turn them off for uh, inventory purposes or something like that. So that still is like the total backbone and fuel of our business. Right on. So coming up for the, with the new games, uh, tell me a little bit about that process. Cause it sounds, um, I like board games. That sounds difficult. Since you have a new thing, I mean, it's it's weird, um, and I find uh, it can certainly be a leap of faith, as I think it is with any new product to develop something where you know you're going to have to put time and effort and probably some money in, and then like you don't really know is anyone going to buy this thing. Um, and so when we when we first started making games, our first game was a game called Charty Party, and uh, it is basically Cards Against Humanity, except with graphs or charts. Um, and so it's like the nerdy version of Cards Against Humanity. Um, and so uh, that game, you know, that that idea kind of just like came in a moment of like, oh, what if what if <laughs> Cards Against Humanity was graphs? And uh, my business partner and I, we both used to work in consulting and we, you know, we were familiar with boring graphs all the time. And so uh, uh, basically you're relabeling the axes of a graph to make it as funny or inappropriate as possible in this game. And so it wasn't like a far cry from this format that already existed. So that, that game kind of was like, all right, we already know that this format of a game works. Let's just like make a, write some cards that would go in here and toss it up on the internet and Kickstarter and see how it does. So that, that one uh, was a bit more straightforward, but then since then each game uh, that we've made has kind of gone through a much longer, like, well, we had an initial idea. Um, 
and the final product is like nothing at all uh, in many ways what that initial idea was. But I think the thing that holds true across all of them is uh, we like to focus the games around a fun core activity. Um, and I, I think at the end of the day, kind of the guiding light for us is like, well, is the is the main activity of this game something so either fun or uh, enjoyable, almost like that you would do it even if the game didn't exist. So uh, I'll give you an example. Like we have our game, uh, the next game we put out was called Puns of Anarchy, where you're making puns of bands and movies and people and whatnot um, and trying to put them in categories. And like, that's just a funny, fun activity on its own. In fact, like the reason that game came about was because like that's something I already did um you know if you like how many how many uh puns can you make with um um you know uh another one bites the dust or something and you're like oh it's like a food pun another one bites the crust um and so people are already kind of doing this and it existed on the internet and then we you know we wrap a game around it um so that's that's been a guiding light for us and i think has helped us to whenever we're like kind of muddling about of is this going to be a a good idea or not, we can pull it back and be like, well, if we take out all the points and the rules and like all that, is this fun to do on its own? Um, So that's where a lot of these concepts uh, start from. Got it. And you mentioned earlier that, uh, you know, you guys are targeting uh, mainly non-gamers or like Mm -hmm. non, like hardcore gamers, like Dungeons and Dragons or Magic or whatever, right? I mean, what's it been like, you know, trying to reach those, those folks, obviously paid ads work. <laughs> you guys, uh, you know, seen that, uh, have you felt like you've lost any mojo with the games you've developed, trying to design them to work for non-gamers, I guess. Uh, that's certainly a very, yeah, a very interesting question. Um, I mean, on one hand, the bright side of, saying, well, we develop games for non-gamers, which is, you know, I'm being a little facetious there, but that does have a lot of truth to it, um, is basically means that, well, so our target audience is everyone. Um, And, you know, in most businesses, that's kind of not a good spot to be um, for a lot of reasons. Mm -hmm. Um, But for us, it does, because we're such a paid ads-driven company, it basically means that, it gives Facebook's algorithm and Instagram's algorithm like that many more people to kind of like crawl through. Um, You know, if we were, I think it's a lot harder to use ads in the way that we've been successful with them. If we were like, if we had a product that only was for uh, let's use myself, bald men. Um, Like, you know, if you're not a bald dude, you're literally not going to have a reason to buy this product except like maybe as a gift, um, weird gift. But, uh, <laughs> so, and, and then, you know, Facebook may have a much harder time, like actually determining, you know, as creepy as they are with their data, like they may not know exactly who all the bald men on the planet are and how to target them. Um, and so just like, you're losing a lot of potential efficiency there because like a lot of your ads may be being shown to people who are not potential fits. But for us, like essentially everyone's a potential fit because everyone, uh, you know, has occasions where they play some sort of game with their friends or at least have people over um, or where they're like, I need to get somebody a $30 gift for a holiday. Um, So it's just a much 
larger audience that Facebook can go through. And I think the, re- the reason that Facebook has become the like monstrosity that it is in the advertising world is because their algorithm is so good, not only at like finding people who are uh, in your target audience, but I think primarily it's that they're finding people who like to buy things online and they're like layering those two things together. So unlike a billboard, which is shown to everyone, um, Facebook is like first primarily going after people who are like really likely to buy stuff online because of their past history of buying stuff online. Um, and so it's possible for, a, a, you know, a small company like us uh, to kind of get off the ground in that way, because you can so efficiently advertise versus like, you know, I think if we were running TV ads, like there, there's just so much kind of waste there from a, who are you showing this to perspective that like, we don't have the budget for that. And like, it probably wouldn't even be profitable for us to uh, run those ads, even if we wanted to. Yeah. Cool. So in the, in the vein of uh, fulfillment, uh, I believe you guys were recently uh, featured by Amazon uh, in a case study uh, relating to the concept of fulfilling orders with a, with a two-person team. Um, tell me a little bit about that and that right up. Sure. Um, yeah, we were, uh, <laughs> we were surprised to see Amazon picked us, but I, I guess we've become one of the larger users of this particular feature of Amazon, um, which is for people who aren't familiar, uh, they're basically when you, when you sell on Amazon, um, one of the most common ways to do it is you kind of sell through Amazon's network of warehouses across the country which is basically you send them pallets of your product and then they will decide how to most efficiently spread it out. This program is called a fulfilled by Amazon or FBA. And usually when you buy a product on Amazon and it's getting to you in like two day, two day shipping, that's because the seller is using Amazon's FBA program. So it's already been kind of uh, intelligently brought to a warehouse near you. Um, and we do that. That's how we sell on Amazon. Um, but when we sell on our own website, we have basically hooked our website up to Amazon's backend. And so when you buy a product on our website, it sends that order over to Amazon to be fulfilled by the same network of warehouses. So uh, we, you know, we don't, we still pay Amazon to ship it, but we don't have to pay what Amazon calls their like referral fee, which is their kind of commission when somebody buys through Amazon. So it's actually quite a big uh, cost savings to us, both because the rates are typically much better than, you know, FedEx, UPS, uh, USPS, but also, you know, we're a three person company. We don't have to uh, spend all of our time trying to move inventory around to warehouses across the country or worry about like shipping zones or anything like that. Like, you know, we pay, $10 and 50 cents for like every single package we sell, no matter where it's going in the country. Um, And so that's been a huge uh, efficiency for us. Yeah. Were you guys doing all the fulfillment yourselves beforehand? We started doing this like basically within our first year, we kind of realized this was a thing we could do. So, I mean, our after we, we didn't know what to expect with our first Kickstarter. I think we needed to sell 300 games uh, to, to um, break even and to kind of make that that crowdfunding campaign happen. And I think we sold like 1,500. And so, yeah, and we, that's what we said. Um, 
<laughs> we couldn't believe it. Um, but it was because these ads started working and we were like, whoa, we can, for every, for every dollar we're putting into an ad, we're getting like three out. Let's take the three that we just made and put them into more ads. And like, you know, that's kind of what we've done. Sorry, that was my cat jumping off the table. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> um, and so, uh, and that, you know, that's basically what we've done every single day since. Um, and, uh, yeah, it was, it was quickly apparent that we weren't going to be able to, you know, fulfill 1500 games from our living room. So we, we had to find a solution. We've worked with different distributors and, um, you know, they call them three PLs, which are third party logistics companies, um, who are not Amazon to also try and send games out to individual people. Um, there are pluses and minuses of all of these solutions, but uh, right now, and for a company of our size, Amazon is making a lot of sense. Right on. What are uh, you actually kind of touched on um, my next question? Uh, what are some of the kind of the downsides, the limitations, drawbacks to using uh, Amazon services? Is there anything that you see like a threshold where at a certain point we're going to do something different? Or I actually think it's the opposite. I think there's a threshold where it's you're too small to work with them. Um, and I know, I know I said, uh, confusingly that we started working with them off the bat, but we, we, uh, you know, we, we had, I think by the time we fulfilled our first Kickstarter, so we had those 1500 orders and then we probably sold another 1500, uh, like in the months leading up to when we actually received the inventory for this first print run. So by that scale, it was starting to make sense to work with Amazon, but, um, uh, if you're smaller than that, Amazon, working with Amazon is almost like working with the government or something like they are a massively opaque organization. It can be very difficult to get someone on the phone or to do any sort of customer service that makes sense. Uh, they're as, as kind of user-friendly as their website is for a customer. It's like the opposite. If you're on the seller side, like, you know, you're uploading spreadsheets that if you have one character wrong, they won't work and you like, don't know why. Um, so it can be extremely overwhelming and technical for somebody who's new to it. Um, so for that reason, that's definitely a barrier. Uh, the other one is that they've also changed some things uh, after COVID with uh, what they call inventory caps. And so you can't just send in unlimited inventory, especially if you're a new seller. So if, if you, if you weren't using Amazon at all and suddenly you're like, Hey, I want to, I want to fulfill 10,000 orders from my Kickstarter campaign. Um, you can't do it because they'll cap you like 200 orders. Um, and so you have to kind of gradually build up. But now that our company has, you know, I think last year we shipped around like 300,000 units online. Um, and, uh, so you're, you're basically Amazon's confidence in you as a seller grows. Um, and so we're now able to do some pretty heavy lifting stuff. And I've even helped a couple other, um, new game creators, uh, to do their fulfillment because of our capabilities there. And that's the kind of thing we're trying to grow into a little bit more. Super cool. Well, time for one last question, and it, sure. it relates to uh, other other game companies, other folks that do it, what you guys do. So I feel like, at least during my childhood, uh, you know, we had Monopoly and Candyland and Rummy Cube and those games. I feel like over the past, you know, decade or two, I guess, especially since Cards Against Humanity, that's the first one I remember personally. I've never been like a hardcore 
yeah. Dungeons and Dragons gamer <laughs> or what have you. Um, but what resources are there uh, out there for folks looking to create their their own games? I know a lot of folks surely have a lot yeah. of really cool ideas. Uh, man, well, we were in, we were in such a cool like golden age um, of board games. I think um, because it now more than ever. Uh, it's possible for small creators like ourselves um, or, you know, or even brand new creators to um, put something out into the world and you don't have to be Hasbro or Mattel or any of these uh, giant companies to do so. And honestly, the reason that's happened in my view is because of uh, crowdfunding platforms like Kickstarter. Um, Just because the main difference is that you can put your idea for a board game up there. Um, and you know, you need, you need a prototype and that's about it. Um, I think, I think it cost us $1,500 all said and done to like get our prototype ready for our first Kickstarter. And, you know, that was including working with a designer and, uh, paying for FedEx fees and all that sort of stuff. But anyway, it's super approachable. And, uh, then if people like what you're doing and if it's a viable product, you get all the money up front that you need to place your uh, production run order um, because that's, that's really the big roadblock. It was like, well, I have this great idea for a game, but I don't have the $50,000 I need to buy the inventory and like take that risk on if anyone's going to want to buy it. Um, so I think because of that, it's made it economically possible for small and new creators to get into the, uh, to the scene. Um, but I think when we were starting up, uh, we, of course, were like, well, we don't, we don't know about any of this stuff. So uh, I don't have specific places, but if you Google um, just like Kickstarter board game guide um, or like, you know, how to launch a board game on Kickstarter, there's so many really great resources. I think Stone Meyer Games um, is one that has a particularly good uh, kind of series of blog posts on places that you can uh, or things you should consider when launching a new game, but there's now like so much literature out there that you can really read up on quickly. And, um, if anything, that the hard part is that there's so many games being made these days that like, it's a crowded field, but, um, it's more possible than ever that as an individual person with a day job, you can, uh, make your board game thing a reality. Very cool. Any hints on the next game that's coming out? (laughs) Yeah. Um, actually, I think I can tell you about it because we are hoping to get this launched on Kickstarter next week. Um, it's, it's going a little crazy to try and make that happen, but it's happening very soon. Um, our new game uh, is definitely our most elaborate, involved uh, product we've made yet. It's called Tiny Laser Heist, and it is a 3D heist game where you are stealing three-dimensional jewels out of a museum that is rigged up with uh, functioning lasers, which are made from elastics, but they do go off if you touch them. Um, and you're using tiny hands on sticks to try and uh, pull these jewels out among other things. And there's a lot of uh, negotiation and backstabbing and all that sorts of stuff, but um, it's a lot of fun. And I uh, certainly hope we can get some support for it on Kickstarter when we launch it next week. That's cool, man. Well, that uh, rolls us directly into how can folks find your Kickstarter? How can folks uh, get in touch with you? How can folks buy your games? Obviously, we talked about Amazon and your website, but give us the deets on that. Yeah. uh, Well, luckily, I think it's a single answer for all of this stuff. 
if you go to veryspecialgames.com, uh, that's where you can find any games that we sell right now. Uh, certainly any games that are in production um, or on Kickstarter, you can get to from there. And actually the fastest way to get in touch with me is the contact form on that website. It goes straight to me um, and we are uh, very responsive. So um, don't hesitate to reach out, whether it's a game related question or business or, or otherwise, we love talking to people. Right on, right on. Cool, Evan. Thank you so much, Evan, with Very Special Games. I really appreciate uh, your time today. Uh, My name is Garrett Massey. Thank you for joining us on the e-commerce connector. Uh, Look forward to chatting with you next time. Thanks so much, Garrett. Thank you for joining us on e-commerce connector. This show is brought to you by Polyglot Labs, a web and software development firm, which provides digital solutions to drive growth for e-commerce innovators. For more information, go to polyglotlabs.com.